Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Joel Beakey, with an introduction to the Christian teaching and lifestyles of the Puritans. The heart of it is they wanted to live pure lives themselves to the glory of God. They wanted their families to live purely according to the scriptures. They wanted their church to be pure in worship. They wanted they wanted the nation to become pure in its morality and its lifestyle. So they were nicknamed Puritans derisively, mm-hmm. but after a while they embraced the word, even though they didn't like it, because they said, we're not Puritans, we're just poor sinners saved by grace. But they became known as Puritans, and so that has, that has stuck. Joel Beakey, next. According to seminary president and pastor Dr. Joel Beakey, in the past 50 years or so, more than 150 Puritan authors and more than 700 Puritan titles have been brought back into print. Why the intense interest in Puritan books and who were the Puritans? We'll find out as Dr. Beakey will discuss the book Following God Fully, an introduction to the Puritans he co-wrote with Dr. Michael Reeves. Well, Dr. Beakey, why did you and Dr. Reeves want to introduce us to the Puritans? If you're a Christian, I think a Christian wants to live more holy before God and Mm -hmm. wants to be able to cope with trials well in his life. It wants spiritual depth in his relationship with God and wants to be very, very biblical and wants to grow in prayer and wants to grow in fellowship with the saints. If you want all those things, you want to read the Puritans. (laughs) The Puritans are just so, so profoundly spiritually rich. I often say to pastors, uh, one of the most valuable things you can do to raise the level of Christian maturity and holiness in your church is to get your church folk to have a steady diet of reading the Puritans. Mm. They're just so much richer than most modern writers. There's a lot of good modern writers Mm -hmm. that that are not frothy, or shallow, but the Puritans have a way of bringing you the depth of God's word, not only intellectually to your head, but simultaneously and profoundly to your soul and to your life. So they're they're not only reformed and confessional and biblical, but they're also very experiential and very practical. For those who are not familiar, who were they? Who were the Puritans? When did they live? What can you tell us yeah. about them? So the first thing you want to know about the Puritans is that they're thoroughly reformed, reformed in the sense of the 16th century Reformation. And you know that in church history, there's this phenomena called second generation phenomena, which is you get into a movement in the first generation, like the Reformation, Everybody's excited. Everybody's paying a high price for leaving the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, people have to really believe it to get into it. So there's a lot of zeal. And then the second generation comes along, the children, and they take for granted by the time they reach adulthood. Um, Glorious biblical Reformation truths. And so that's what happened here. Second generation was beginning to 
settle on their leaves, beginning to become lukewarm. And some people began to come along and say, wait a minute, we've lost, we've lost so much of the Reformation spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to renew us and to revive us. And that's that gave birth to Puritanism, which began probably in the 1560s. And it ran all the way until 1710 or thereabouts. So uh, say 150 years. There's no other period of church history that had such intense spirituality, such a revival-like spirit, so much God-fearing preaching, so much aliveness to the things of God and to his word. No other period in church history that lasted for 150 years like this period. So the Puritans, the heart of it is they wanted to live pure lives themselves to the glory of God. They wanted their families to live purely according to the scriptures. They wanted their church to be pure in worship. They wanted they wanted the nation to become pure in its morality and its lifestyle. So they were nicknamed Puritans derisively, mm -hmm. but after a while they embraced the word, even though they didn't like it, because they said, we're not Puritans, we're just poor sinners saved by grace. But they became known as Puritans, and so that has that has stuck. As I understand it, they were in England primarily, and did they leave their churches? I, I guess at that time it would have been, as you said, either the Roman Catholic Church or the uh, the Anglican Church, depending upon the time period. But did they did they leave their churches and begin new churches? I've got two parts to the answer. The first part is this. You could really divide the Puritans into, into three groups. One group stayed in the Anglican Church in England. And as long as they weren't being persecuted and thrown into jail, depended depended on who the bishop or the archbishop was in that area, uh, if they could still go on preaching, um, some of them stayed. And they just went along with the idea, okay, we'll follow the Book of Common Prayer, even though we don't agree with a few things, but uh, we'll... we'll We'll do the best we can to stay in the church. After all, you don't want to split your church. That's one group. The second group of Puritans are people that still love the church, but they get persecuted or else they felt they just could not agree with the Book of Common Prayer like the Queen said you had to. And so they did leave the church, but their heart was still always praying for renewal uh, in the church. They, they viewed the Anglican Church is kind of a halfway house between Roman Catholicism and, say, John Calvin's Genevan Reformation. In reality, I think the Anglican Church was 70% closer to Calvin, uh, and they might have said that as well. But they, again, they wanted the church pure. They felt compelled to leave, and uh, they, even though they still were very much involved in following what was going on in the Anglican Church. Now, there's a third group that were the more radical Puritans, and they said the church is, the Anglican church is so bad, we just got to get out of here. And these are often called pilgrims, at least those that came to America, and they set up camp in America. They weren't even interested in what was going on in the Anglican church. They saw it sort of as an apostate church. So when we think of the Puritans, probably we think mostly of those who did leave the church, but we're still very much, still very much love the Anglican Church in the sense that they just love the Bride of Christ, mm -hmm. and they wanted they wanted her Reformation. Um, so that's that's to answer your latter question. The former question, 
were the Puritans primarily in England? And the answer to that is yes, Puritans with a capital P, the, the movement proper. But of course, uh, there were a number of Puritans that immigrated to America. They're also called Puritans, New England Puritans is the correct title, uh, with a capital P. At the same time, the Puritans influenced three other areas greatly. They influenced Scotland. So say someone like Samuel Rutherford, we would call a Scottish Puritan with a small p. Not a Puritan proper, but the small p. Puritan-minded. Puritan-minded. And then to the Netherlands, a movement arose that was initiated by some of the Dutch people moving among the English Puritans and then taking it back to the Netherlands with them. That movement became known as the Dutch Further Reformation, the Nadera Reformatie in Dutch. But you could also call it the Dutch Puritans with a small p, very similar to English Puritanism. That also lasted even longer into the late 1700s. And then a bit after the Puritan movement started, there was an influence over into Germany, and that movement became known as German Pietism with a capital P, but you could also call it German Puritans with a small p. <laughs> that makes any sense. Okay, yes. Well, thank you for that. Well, the book is Following God Fully, an introduction to the Puritans. We're learning about these uh, these Christians who lived a number of centuries ago. My guest, Dr. Joel Beakey, he co-wrote the book with Dr. Michael Reeves. You do this in your book, and I think maybe it's a good idea to do it uh, right now, Dr. Beakey, and that is to address some conceptions, or I think your book would say these are misconceptions of the Puritans, but people typically might think of them as uh, scowling, humorless people that are that are upset if anybody anywhere is having any fun, you know, wearing black and uh, known for the, the witch trials and some of these things. I wonder if you can address the, uh, you know, the, the calling somebody puritanical is a, obviously a term of derision and so on, if you could address uh, the, uh, some, of the, some of those negative yeah, ideas. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's look at it this way. Let's let's talk about this. Um, whenever anyone is more conservative than you, and you're a Christian, you're going to feel a little bit uncomfortable, and you're going to have a tendency, perhaps, to judge them. Mm. And that's what happened with the Puritans after the Puritan movement was over. They had such a high level of godliness, of biblicalness of holiness, of uh, intensity, of zeal. They said we have to be white-hot flames for the glory of God. That, of course, people that were more entrenched in worldly ways called them fanatical and so on. Now, some of the caricatures are just that, total caricatures. One of them being that the Puritans were joyless. Mm -hmm. I, I actually have given speeches at different conferences on the joy of the Puritans. Hmm. I have my PhD in church history. I know of no period in, in church history where a group of people were so happy as the Puritans. Uh, there was a TA for one of my colleagues here who, uh, who started to research the, the word happy in Puritan literature and within a couple of weeks came up with a thousand wonderful quotations about happiness from the Puritans, hmm. over a thousand. Puritans were the happiest people on the face of the earth for the obvious reason, because they were living their lives according to the Bible. And when you live your life according to the Bible, and you're in Christ, and you then see, as a father, you have to lead your home with the love of Christ, 
and according to the word, and as, as, as a wife, you're in subjection to your husband, but you, you co-rule over your children um, faithfully according to the Bible. The children understand they have to obey their parents, and there's a happy Christian home. Husband doesn't have a mistress on the side, like was so often the case in the first 1,500 years. You exalt marriage like the Bible does in Ephesians 5. You live according to all the precepts of the Bible. Of course you're going to be happy. And so the Puritans were a very, very happy people. They were the ones to whom we owe, as J.I. Packer said, the bequeathment of the happy Christian home. Uh, they are also the ones who stressed that you are to enjoy sex with your wife. Instead of being prudish, they're actually the ones who said, wait a minute, Roman Catholicism, the idea of you're more holy if you don't get married and you're out there, meanwhile, with mistresses, that is totally forbidden by the word of God. One man and one woman make up a marriage, and you're to be totally dedicated to that spouse. And, to, and, and your body's not your own, but it belongs to your spouse, and you satisfy each other in lovemaking. This is your benevolent due to one another, the Puritans said. So they're the ones who brought in the happy sex life between husband and wife. Just the opposite of, of the caricatures. Did they dress in black? Well, the ministers usually did when they preached. Mm -hmm. um, they dressed in a lot of different colors, dark green, dark purple, dark maroon. Um, usually, interestingly, it wasn't patterns, but it was one solid color for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't out of a legalistic motive. They did stress that one's dress should be modest, that one should not dress to provoke people. Uh, just simple biblical principles. Um, so... What about witchcraft? Well, there were, yes, there was a few Puritans near the end of the age who had a blind spot for witchcraft and totally wrong, absolutely. And there were a few Puritans, very few, maybe 1% at the end of the Puritan age who began to be influenced by the others around them and took on a few slaves here and there. Uh, but very rarely, most Puritans wrote against slavery and yet you find, if you Google Puritans on slavery, you'd almost think that the average Puritan had slaves. And uh, people don't even realize that the big century of slaves, 18th century, the Puritan movement was over. Uh, so these weren't the Puritans. Jonathan Edwards had a few slaves, yes. Did he treat them extremely well? Yes. Did he separate them from each other as spouses? No. Did he bring them to church with him and evangelize them? And were they happy in his home? Yes. Was it wrong for him to do this? Yes, absolutely. Had a blind spot here. Mm -hmm. But Edwards is often not considered a Puritan. He's, he's a generation or two beyond, even though he had Puritan influences. But I hardly know of any Puritans that had slaves. So there's a lot of caricatures there. But I would say this. The few Puritans that did have slaves... That was a blind spot. Mm -hmm. A few Puritans that did adhere to some fears of witchcraft, that was a blind spot. But what's amazing about the Puritans is how few blind spots they had, how biblical they they were. Well, Dr. Behe, I think it, it, this is a good time to ask you about uh, two or maybe three, depending upon the amount of time we have left. Uh, but uh, you, you touch on a number of them, particularly well-known ones. I thought maybe I'll go to a couple that are especially well-known to me, John Bunyan and John Owen, and I'm wondering if you can uh, just give us a little bit of an overview of each of them, maybe particularly well-known work, and their contributions to, uh, to the church, to, uh, to, to living the Christian life. 
Yes, well, John Bunyan, of course, was a real exception among the Puritans. Almost all the Puritans, certainly over 99%, were extremely educated. Um, and John Bunyan was not. He was more self-taught. He was converted in a wonderful way. That began, really, with his marriage to a God-fearing woman whose name we don't even know. He read some of her Puritan books and got influenced by different people um, who he heard talking about God and realized he was missing that. And um, later he felt called to be a deacon in the church in Bedford and then became a minister. And um, he, he preached fearlessly. He had a particular gift at what I call participatory pleading preaching where he would plead with sinners to repent and believe in Christ alone for salvation. And in his preaching, he would draw them into the text, kind of a, in a, not just a folksy way, but in a powerful biblical way. For example, if you were preaching about the barren fig tree, he'd make you feel like you were the fig tree, and the axe was about to land on the bottom of the fig tree and mm. cut you down, except you repented. Um, he also, of course, um, got arrested were preaching out of doors because that was illegal at that time. He spent 12 years in prison. He wrote some of his best books there, including Pilgrim's Progress, which became the world's bestseller outside the Bible, with the possible exception of Thomas Akempis's The Imitation of Christ. He wrote also 65 other books. <laughs> um, he was a very, very godly man and um, spent his last years, when he finally was released, writing, preaching everywhere. He could have gotten out of prison right away if he just agreed not to preach. The judge said to him, I'll let you go tonight if you promise not to preach. He said, sir, if you let me go tonight, I'll be preaching tomorrow. <laughs> the judge said, back to jail with you. Uh, so that was John Bunyan. Uh, he's written a classic autobiography as well, by the way, Grace Abounding to the mm. Chief of Sinners. Mm -hmm. uh, John Owen was uh, in some ways the opposite of John Bunyan. He was very much uh, the prince of the English divines, as he's been called. Uh, he, had, he was a great scholar. He entered Queen's College, Oxford at the age of 12, got a master's degree um, thereafter, and then a doctorate. Uh, he became a private chaplain, then, then a tutor, um, published his first book already, in his mid-twenties, he eventually became pastor in a church in England of over 2,000 people. And then he got the attention of Oliver Cromwell, and um, Cromwell persuaded him to accompany him as a chaplain to Ireland to regulate the affairs of Trinity College there. And he spent most of his time reorganizing the college along Puritan lines, of course, as well as, uh, well as preaching. So Owen wrote a lot as well. He, he actually wrote what is going to come out now. In fact, this week, the first volume uh, has come out from Crossway of a projected 40 volumes of the complete works of John Owen. Mm. And um, I, I also submitted, I was the editor of one of the volumes that I, I submitted a couple months ago and uh, looking forward to that coming out soon. But uh, it's going to be a very definitive, well-edited set on, on the works of works of Owen. Um, Owen was jealous of John Bunyan's ability to preach to the common man. And uh, he, he once said, 
if he had the Tinker of Bedford's gift, Tinker of Bedford was a nickname for Bunyan, to preach to the common man, he would he would gladly give up all his learning and all his books to have that gift. Uh, that may have been a little bit of an exaggeration, but Owen was um, was really appreciative of, of of Bunyan. Owen wrote a seven volume commentary on the Epistle to the Hebrews. He's not the place to begin if you want to read the Puritans. He's the ending point. Uh, you, you should start out reading Thomas Watson, or better yet, start out reading Puritan Treasures for today from, from RHB, Reformation Heritage Books, heritagebooks.org, by the way, heritagebooks.org. Um, start there. These are short books, 50 to 100 pages, um, written by the Puritans. Every sentence is edited, so it reads like it was written yesterday. Mm-hmm. And um, once you've mastered a few of those, like Stop Loving the World by William Greenhill or Triumphing Over Sinful Fear by John Flavel, then go to Thomas Watson, Heaven Taken by Storm, and John Flavel, and then John Bunyan. And uh, once you master master them, easier Puritans to read. Then you can work your way up to people like Thomas Goodwin and John Owen. And their emphasis, uh, the emphasis uh, that they had so often, uh, well, I think of, of Owen, or but re- really any of them, was that, that aspect of uh, holiness or sanctification, growth in Christ. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, uh, w- what is it about the way that, and I realize I'm generalizing across the group of Puritans, but it seems like the quality of, of their writing in those areas in the Christian life attracts people more perhaps than anything uh, being read or being written today. Yeah, well, when it comes to sanctification, they didn't say anything new that the Reformers didn't say in principle. They just emphasized a godly life out of gratitude to God for our deliverance in Christ from our sins uh, more than the Reformers did. So you got to look at it this way. The 16th century Reformers were hammering out the big doctrines like justification by faith alone, of the purity of public worship, according to Scripture alone, the authority of the Bible, the exact role of the minister in the congregation, things like that. The Puritans came along, and sitting on the Reformers' shoulders, they said, now that we have all these Reformation truths, which now we know now know as the five points of Calvinism and so on, how do all of these things apply to your marriage? So they wrote 29 books on marriage. Um, how do they apply to childbearing? How do they apply to your daily work? How do they apply to how you're listening in church? So all practical areas of sanctification to become more holy. So the Puritans excel in taking what is, um, and this is so important, taking the doctrines of grace and making them practical for daily life. So I, I wrote a book, for example, with uh, Mark Jones, it's a thousand some pages. It's a fat one in big pages called the Puritan Theology. Where we look at 50 areas of doctrine that the Puritans excelled in. But the subtitle for the book is Doctrine for Life. Mm. You see, and then we have eight chapters at the end of the book showing you how they take their teaching and apply it to walking godly in the home, to their apply it, another chapter on how to meditate, another chapter on how doctrine impacts our conscience, uh, how it moves us to sacrificial zeal, things like that. So, so this kind of of living, living by the the Bible and really applying it to every area of life, 
that is what is so important in in Puritan thinking. Mm. Uh, How did they fade away? I mean, uh, the way that you described them, obviously this vibrant group of Christians and obviously very influential at their times, they continue to be, but um, we uh, we really can't point at anybody and say, oh, there's a Puritan, or, I mean, they're gone. Well, they're gone in terms of the capital P because the movement itself has um, has expired that way. But don't forget that the spirit of Puritanism mm. continued in Jonathan Edwards and to a lesser extent in George Woodfield, which produced the which the Holy Spirit used to produce the the Great Awakening. Then there was another revival in 1799 to 1830 in America that really was Puritan minded as well, and of course. In 1959, Banner of Truth began over in, um, in, in England. Sovereign Grace Publishers began about the same time in America. Uh, now we have Reformation Heritage Books, which is the world's largest Puritan publisher. By the way, we're publishing 84 Puritan books in the next seven years, mm. one per month. And we're doing one major set of Puritan works each year. So there's been close to 1,000 Puritan books reprinted in the last 60 years, which wouldn't be possible if there weren't Puritan-minded people around. So sometimes people people look at me, for example, and yeah. I've had a lot of people call me uh, a modern-day Puritan. Well, I accept that mm-hmm. gladly and humbly if you mean a small P. If you mean a, a capital P, of course, it's ridiculous because the movement ended. Why did the Puritan movement end, the yeah. Puritan movement proper? Well, I like to say, I get this question all the time, I like to say, uh, and pardon me, Bill, uh, wrong question. <laughs> okay. The real question is, how did the Puritan movement last for 150 oh. years with such spiritual intensity? That's the miracle. That's the miracle. But I'll answer your question. Um, there's two major reasons, obviously. One is that 2,000 Puritan ministers, the leaders, were expelled from their pulpits in 1662. So the leadership suffered profoundly. Many of them were jailed. Many of them died in jail. Um, By the time William and Mary gave the act of declaration of freedom of worship for different religions, 1689, almost all the leaders among the Puritans had died, and there weren't those there to take take their place. So it's right around the 1680s that you see already the demise of Puritanism, and the act of toleration came in too late to sustain the, 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 the waning of the movement. The, the second reason, of course, an obvious one, is that the winds of enlightenment, that man is the measure of all things instead of God the measure of all things, have been blowing in the 17th century all around Europe and um, began to impact England as well, as well as America early in the 18th century. And so that was greatly contributory to the demise of Puritanism as well. What would you want us to, in this short conversation, to remember about the Puritans, to embrace, to take into our own Christian lives, uh, and uh, perhaps give us some motivation for uh, reading the Puritans? The biggest thing is that the Puritans really teach us how to live the Christian life like no other no other group of writers before them. Um, there's, there's no group of writers that teach us so powerfully, for example, how to focus exclusively on Christ in our life, to be really like Christ, to be conformed to Christ, to live Christ. 
but they also teach us how to maintain biblical balance in doctrine, like between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. They were big on catechizing their children, growing their children in, in covenantal faithfulness. They're masters at prayer. Oh, there's so many Puritan books you can read on, on focusing on prayer and communion with God. They, they, they're profound in teaching us how to handle personal trials uh, Christianly. They, they're powerful in rebuking human pride. Uh, they teach us how to rely on the Holy Spirit. They, they profoundly teach us how to, how to emulate um, the saints of the Bible when they walked in the ways of the Lord. They preach often on Bible characters and godliness. And above all, maybe, they teach us how to live a life that always has one eye on eternity, even as we have one eye on time. They draw you to Christ, and they make you fall in love with Christ profoundly. So read the Puritans. Go to heritagebooks.org, and you'll see uh, hundreds of Puritan books there. Start out with Puritan Treasures for Today. Get a handful, and then move to Thomas Watson and John Bunyan and John Flavel. By the time you get there, you'll be hooked. <laughs> and you'll you'll understand that these writers uh, are are much more a blessing to you than you ever dreamed they would be. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Joel Beakey, co-author of Following God Fully, an introduction to the Purins. Dr. Beakey pastors Heritage Reformed Congregation in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and he's president of Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. <laughs> Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Adam Carrington, reviving what he calls the Christian dignity of politics. Ultimately, Scripture says God is the founder of politics. He is the founder of it in general. I think establishing politics as the way that we operate in community together, that we operate under laws together, the way that we live together, but also particular leaders and regimes that he puts them in place as Romans 13 articulates famously. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.